Thank you so much for joining us today for Declaration's online message. I'm Melody. If you are joining us for the first time, welcome. We want to know more about you and for you to know more about who we are. I want to invite you to text CONNECT to 43000. You will receive a link to an online connection card. Do us a favor and fill that out. We want to connect with you. Also, everyone's invited to attend our in-person worship services every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. at Snyder Elementary in Spring. Check out this video for upcoming events that you don't want to miss. Hey, Declaration family, I'm Daniel, and I want to take a minute to fill you in on some things you don't want to miss. So whether you're joining us online or in person, welcome to church. Twice a month, you have the opportunity to participate in DNA One right here after the first service. DNA One is all about who we are as a church and how together we can make a difference for God. This class will teach you why we are a church of small groups and how you can plug in. DNA One will also let you explore serve team opportunities right here at Declaration. The next DNA is August 20th at 10.30 a.m. Sign up online today. Today starts our 21 day of prayer and obedience. Over the next 21 days, we'll intentionally seek God in prayer and believe for Him to move in powerful ways. Join us for this incredible 21 day journey as we seek the heart of God together. If you haven't yet, visit the Declaration website and subscribe to receive daily devotionals. Also, during 21 days of prayer, First Tuesdays become every Tuesday. That's right. The rest of August, we will meet on August 15th, August 22nd, and the 29th, starting at 7 p.m. And men, join us August 23rd at 6.30 for a time of prayer and worship just for you. A Declaration prayer is the foundation of everything we do. And at First Tuesday, it's a time set aside for us to pray and worship together. If you've been around Declaration for a while, you know that small groups are a big deal because we believe that God does His best work in the context of relationships. Our next small group semester is just around the corner. If you're interested or have been feeling that nudge from the Lord to lead a group, we encourage you to jump in. And today, right after this service, you can find out more about what it means to be a small group leader at Declaration. Pastor Aaron would love to meet you and give you all the information you need to know about what that looks like. In 2 Corinthians, it teaches us that generosity is a privilege. We are reminded that generosity sets the tables for others to encounter and follow Jesus. To be a part of generosity through declaration, pray. Ask the Lord what He would have you give, and then just be obedient. There are a few ways you can give through declaration. You can text GIVE to 43000. You can visit declaration.org slash give, or you can drop your giving in one of the boxes at the response tables. If you're visiting for the first time, we want you to know that we consider you a part of the family, and we would love to get to know you. Do us a favor. Text CONNECT to 43000 and fill out a connection card right on your phone. You can also scan the seat back in front of you or find a connection card at one of the response tables. All right, that's it. You can find more information about everything you've heard today at declaration.org or the Connection Center in the lobby. We are so glad that you and your family have joined us for worship today. Hold on now. It's never too late for Man, I feel like it's been a month since I've been here, because it has, nearly. Hey, it's good to see you, man. You look good today. You feel good, anybody? All right. I feel like I'm having a hard time convincing you that you're at church. Okay. All right. Um, real quick, uh, just a few quick things I wanted to, to highlight, to point out. I'm going to ask you to pray for some, some things. Um, I wanted to celebrate a few things just briefly, though. Um, this is the first time I've seen you since camp, and I want to thank you for your generosity and how you set the table. Man, it was an absolutely unbelievable week. I'm going to tell you something. Uh, Pam and I were talking about this a little bit. You know, there's a difference between the presence of God and the glory of God, the kabod, the weight of God. And I'm going to tell you, we sat in the kabod, the glory of God, for days. 
And um, the, the fruit of that was, I can't even tell you, I don't know the numbers of people, not just students, but people who had some sort of uh, maybe a recommitment or a, a, a moment of repentance where God just did a real work in their life. Um, I, I would venture to guess it's in the high 70s to 100 if I just had to throw a number at it just based on the other things that I do know. But I do know that for the first time, 27 people surrendered their life to Jesus for the very first time. And 27, did I get that right? And then 56 students were called into full-time vocational ministry through that week. I read an article just the other day that talked about the state of the Bible with Gen Z and how Gen Z is, they're they're at a very strong statistic. Now, there's some statistics that would frustrate us a little bit and, and worry us a little because of how many of Gen Z is not... Um, intrigued at church at all, and there's reasons for that, but they're deeply intrigued with the Bible. And I think that we're seeing some of the fruit of that in, in just what we saw at camp this summer. And so can we just give glory to God? Give him your best for a minute, because man, it was unbelievable what we got to be a part of. Hey, next Sunday is DNA One. If you're new with us, if you've never been a part of DNA, we want to invite you. It's immediately following this service at about 1030 down that hallway. You'll see a sign. Um, you want to learn about the vision and the values, the heart of the house, just how you can get plugged in and take a next step with the Lord. We want you to go to DNA. So check that out next week. 21 days starts tomorrow. Look at a neighbor and say, hey, it's online. It's online. So you can go to, you can text 21 days to 43,000. Um, you can go to declaration.org slash 21 days and jump right in there um, tomorrow morning and uh, just follow along with. We don't typically do the, the fasting piece because we're all hungry right now in August, I guess. And so I don't know. We don't do the fasting piece in August, but uh, if you, you can, if you want, if you feel called to that, I would encourage it. Um, but we are going to do 21 days of prayer. And it, just with that in mind, I know we need to get going into the word this morning, but I just want to take a moment just for a second and ask, do we have any prayer needs in the house this morning? And if you have a prayer need, would you just kind of hold a hand up for a second? A little higher so we can see you. All right. There's some prayer needs in the house. And so with that in mind, um, man, be praying about some specific things. Uh, there's a few things that just kind of hit me um, as we were uh, in worship through song together. And a couple of those things was sickness. Um, that's weighing on me right now because there's some people in the house that have some sickness going on. But also, uh, there was something that hit me about finances. Maybe there's someone here or some families here that are really struggling with your finances. And, and I believe that God wants to get, get some freedom in that area for you. And so, during these 21 days, can we just be praying for one another for different things like that? You saw there's some hands held up. And I'm sure that there's many other things that we should be praying for as well. Um, but the focus this year for 21 days, at least this August, is obedience. Um, that's a scary word, right? Obedience. Um, it's a great word if you're a parent and, and you, yeah, anyway, but, um, but anyway, that's what we're going to be looking at as, as well as this new series that we're diving into this morning. But before we get going on that, let me say this. One of my old pastors, in fact, the pastor that I was, um, that I, that I encountered Jesus under his ministry, he tells this story about another pastor who one time was doing a children's church sermon where all the kids would come down front and he would kind of sit with them and, and they would hear a story. Anybody remember that? Did you grow up? Was that your tradition growing up? That was mine. And, and, um, and so the pastor in his children's message was discussing the story of Jonah. And during his message, he quoted a scripture. We're not going to quite get to this scripture this morning. But he quoted the scripture. says, the Lord spoke to the fish and the fish vomited Jonah upon the dry land. Now, when the pastor finished that verse, he, he started trying to solicit some input, kind of like what I've been doing for the past five minutes with y'all. But he was trying to solicit some input from the children to kind of help complete the little mini sermon that he gave. And he asked, so boys and girls, let me ask you, what does a fish vomiting the prophet and preacher Jonah out on dry land teach us today? And some kids raise their hand, but this one little boy, man, he is just amped up. He's got so much enthusiasm, he can't even help himself. He screams at the top of his lungs. The whole congregation can hear, and he says, this pastor, it proves that even a fish cannot stomach a bad preacher. That's what he said. <laughs> Welcome to church, everybody. Um, I hope you do not have the experience of a bad preacher today, all right? But truth be told, let me say this. Um, after hearing this last series while Kelly and I and the boys were away, and after hearing all the rave reviews, it's going to be tough to follow these last few weeks. 
Um, Pastor Jordan, I don't know where he is in the house, but did an incredible, jo- incredible job on student takeover. Thank you, Pastor Jordan. Love your heart and how you're leading our students and the generations. Pastor Aaron did an amazing job as usual. Um, and obviously, uh, Pastor Rick, who is our missionary in residence, he's probably out serving in a different church this morning, but he did a great job as well. Can we just honor them one more time for all the things that they've done? So this morning, I'm going to try to do a little better job than that preacher that that little dude called out, all right? Um, As we also are going to open the book of Jonah. So if you've got your Bible, it's page 829 for me. You can try. Um, But we're going to be in the book of Jonah, the brand new series launching today called Navigating Your Nineveh. Truth is, you know, Jonah is the story of a guy that found himself in an unwanted place with an unwanted purpose With an unwilling heart, resulting in some rebelling, he runs from God, which puts him in an incredibly undesirable position. Um, Jonah's name, this is so important, we're going to come back to this a few times. Jonah's name means dove. Dove. Now, you may know that the dove, symbolically, we, we think of dove and we think of peace. Anybody? Peace, right? And so Jonah's name... Dove means dove or peace, which, as we'll see, he did not do very well living up to the meaning of his name as his decisions and his disobedience would lead to anything but peace for a season. I mean, in fact, look, today, here's what we're going to do. We're going to see some of the potential destruction that being disobedient to God can do. In fact, this is going to be part one, what disobedience can do. So we're going to look at just a little bit of the potential destruction that being disobedient to God can do. Now, a few interesting things to know about Jonah. Um, there's a uniqueness to him in a few ways as a minor prophet. There's, there's several things that can be said of Jonah that cannot be said of any of the other prophets, major or minor. For example, Jonah's the only minor prophet where miracles play an important role in his ministry. Um, He's the only minor prophet whose major activity takes place on foreign soil preaching to foreign people. According to Bible charts, he's the only major um, Old Testament character that took a trip on the Mediterranean Sea. Um, He's the only minor prophet ever to be mentioned by Jesus. We see this in Matthew 12. He's also the only Old Testament person that Jesus likens himself to. Again, we see this in Matthew 12, 39 through 41. We're going to look at that later in the series. Matthew 16, Luke 11. And when it comes to Jonah's story immediately, let me just ask you, when it comes to Jonah, what do you think about? A whale, right? A whale. That's what we think about. Um, speaking of, let me just ask this little tidbit of question. Um, has, have y'all been following a little bit? Because, you know, Kelly and I, we go to Destin where we should obviously plant another campus one day because it's just... Yeah, God's in Destin. And, and, um, and so we're in Destin, and I'm watching these news stories pop up, and there were two whales sighted in Galveston. Did y'all see this? Okay, I need y'all to talk back to me this morning, all right? Feeling a little insecure up here. It's been a month, y'all. Kelly even said, do you remember how to preach? He goes, don't know. Whales in Galveston, Texas. They're called rice whales, named after some guy who discovered them supposedly. They are the rarest breed of whales known today. Did you know this? The rarest breed of whales known, rice whales. Fewer than 100 are believed to exist. And there were two in Galveston. And now while they're not the largest like that of, let me just say the blue whale. Let's see the blue whale. That's the blue whale. It don't look very large right now. It looks like you give it like a minnow, but trust me. It ain't playing around. Blue whales, they get up to 100 feet long. Okay, hello. 100 feet. That is a big minnow. (laughs) Them dudes can weigh 200 200 uh, tons, not pounds, 200 tons, tons. Um, A fin whale, let's look at a fin whale. These dudes get up to 90 feet long. Um, Or a sperm whale, which is the story that we see. This is the whale that is involved in our story. Um, this guy can get up to 60 feet long. And P.S., this is just for free. This is a public service announcement. This is why I don't really like to go to the beach. <laughs> there are big minnows in the beach like this, big old fish. And, and, and I'm not trying to mess around. I'm not trying to dare God. This is their house. It's their house. I'm not trying to mess around with fish. Sharks, I don't mess with sharks. Ironically, we're in Destin. It's Shark Week. I'm like, no, 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 no. This is not okay. <laughs> I don't mess around with whales. I don't try to go whale watching. I ain't trying to get in a boat where the whale is bigger than the boat. It ain't going to happen. I've read Jonah a few times. Look, and sadly, I've been disobedient like Jonah, which is why I don't like to dare whales. I ain't messing around with that. 
I'm not trying to do that. I'm not trying to be some little disobedient appetizer for a whale. Like, ooh, look at that little human chicken nugget. Like, I ain't doing it. Rice whales. They fit right in that mix. Scary, scary. Now, with the largest rice whale believed to be able to grow to a meager 41 feet, weighing in at 60,000 pounds, and they saw these in Galveston, Texas, just a few miles away. I mean, every time I, I hear about a whale sighting, I wonder if God has sent those whales for a specific reason. Like, are we trying to repeat the Jonah narrative? And then I started wondering, how many of our people went to Galveston this summer? Like, do I need to worry? It's just a joke. Um, as far as the story goes, though, with Jonah, you know, I know uh, different people, when they read the, the story of Jonah, they've got different opinions. They've got different views. Some contend that the story of Jonah is more metaphorical than miracle. Some even contend that it's a fable altogether. In fact, um, there are stories that I actually read. There's a story that has been passed down for hundreds of years. It's been printed over and over and over about a true life Jonah, who found himself in a predicament, he harpooned a whale, and then two of the, the, the people in the boat went missing. One of them was the one who harpooned. I can't remember his name. doesn't matter. And um, they start waiting, and finally the whale kind of floats up. He's dead. And so they start kind of, you know, cutting the whale open, and they see something moving inside the stomach cavity. It's the man. And, and you know, we don't know if this is a true story or not. They've tried to refute it. Of course, um, you know, the, the culture of the world is always going to try to refute the miraculous things of God, right? Um, but we don't know. All I know is that I ain't trying to mess with a whale. And Jonah, you know, Jesus spoke of Jonah, which should definitely be evidence enough for us to believe that there was something specific about this story that we need to pay attention to. If Jesus himself brings Jonah to the surface in conversation, it's very, very important. But also we see Jonah mentioned as an active prophet in other places. Second Kings chapter 14, for example, let me just show you three passages. It was the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah. Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, becomes king in Samaria and reigns for 41 years, we see in verse 24. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. Now, if you walk through the judges, if you walk through the kings, you're going to see these seasons of these different leaders that God would raise up. And some of them would do exactly what God called them to do. And some of them would say, and they did evil in the sight of the Lord. They went their own way. They did their own thing. And this is one of those situations where he did evil in the sight of the Lord. It says, he did not abandon all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, into which he misled Israel. He restored the border of Israel from the entrance of Hamath as far as the Sea of Arabah in accordance with the word of the Lord, the, the God of Israel, which, watch this, he spoke through his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath-Hefer. See, this most likely made Jonah a pretty popular prophet in that his prophetic prediction, if you will, was fulfilled in that Israel regained her lost territory from her enemies. This is where we see Jonah is spoken of before we even get to his story. God has used him in supernatural ways. There's a divine connection, if you will, with divine communication happening between God and Jonah. And when this happened, when, when God fulfills the word that he had placed upon Jonah for this restoration, it brings peace and prosperity to God's people. But that peace and prosperity would be short-lived prior to a judgment that was about to come. Now, let me just say this. We all like when God seems to bless us, right? Anybody? In fact, I mean, we would rather hear preaching about how God wants to bless us. We all enjoy when, pe when, when people and preachers and prophets say what we want to hear them say, but we typically don't like to hear hard things. We don't want to do hard things. We don't like to suffer. We don't like to, you know, we don't enjoy negative consequences. We don't want to do things that we don't want to do. However, we just may find ourselves on the other side of a command of God that we don't like at some point in time. We may find ourselves with a Jonah type of calling, at some point in time, in fact, I would contend that right now in the state of our world that we live in, the culture of today, we are in a season of a Jonah calling where God is going to say, I want you to preach some things that aren't going to be popular for people to hear. God calls us to something, expecting our total obedience. So the question is, is what do we do? Now, let me say it this way. Actually, I'm going to quote a pastor named John Gaston where he said it like this. It's high likely that God has a Nineveh for every single one of us. Welcome to church, everybody, right? You excited? 
It's likely that God has a Nineveh for every single one of us, a place where he may call us to where we don't want to go, a command he may give us that we don't want to obey. Why? Because going to Nineveh is unpopular. Going to Nineveh will cost us. Going to Nineveh does not make sense. Going to Nineveh is hard. But listen, Nineveh may seemingly be necessary when God has a plan of significant purpose. Many of us may come to a point in our walk with God where we, we, we want to say, God, anywhere but Nineveh. Maybe we have those Ninevites that are an issue for us. Those places, those people. See, some of us may find ourselves a bit in Jonah's story. So this morning, go to the book of Jonah. Let's begin to possibly discern how are we to navigate our Nineveh. Jonah 1 says this, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry out against it because their wickedness has come up before me. Now, listen, as we see, I'm, I'm gonna kind of, kind of break some things down as we go, but we see in many other places in scripture something very similar that we just saw as the narrative of Jonah opens. We see it in Joshua, Judges, Ruth. We see it in Samuel, 2 Samuel, Esther. We see it in Ezekiel. Actually, the only other prophetic book that, that begins like this is Ezekiel. We see it. The book of Jonah opens what's, with what's known to be um, a, traditional, a traditional Hebrew formula, if you will. That's, it, it's, it's basically saying, um, now it came about. Now it came about. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, it says. I mean, it came about when the word of the Lord came to Jonah. There's the traditional Hebrew formula there. So the word of the Lord came to Jonah. and It, it, it came about that the word of the Lord, it, remember, Jonah means dove, right? I said that before. Jonah was the son of Amittai. Amittai means truth or faithfulness. So the word of the Lord came to dove, Jonah, peace. The word of the Lord came to peace. There was purpose in names, um, who was the son of truth and faithfulness. Don't forget that. The word of the Lord came to peace, who was the son of truth and faithfulness. It's very important. Meaning, there's a lineage in which God is speaking to. There's a lineage of faithfulness and truth that's going to bring truth and peace. And God is using that, that he created in that way to do something specific. And so God's word to Jonah was active. It was a now word. His word, his command was to arise, meaning do not delay, to get up, meaning right now, and to go. Arise, go. Go to Nineveh, the great city. Cry out against it because their wickedness has come up before me. Go to Nineveh, which he calls a great city. In fact, you're going to see this phrase great many, many times all throughout the story. Great in the view of men, great in the view of God in the, in the terms of, you know, it's just a, it's a, it's a big city, if you will, and it's got a lot going on. And, and God calls Jonah to get up and go, to cry out against it, to speak directly to her sinfulness, to preach to her wickedness, and to call her to repentance. See, the wickedness of the Assyrian people living in Nineveh had become known to God, and it had grieved God. So... God calls Jonah, dove, peace, son of truth and faithfulness. He wants him to go to preach to the Ninevites, to the Assyrians there in Nineveh, to prophesy to them, to tell them to reject their wicked ways and to repent. But here's the issue. Jonah didn't like Nineveh. He didn't like Ninevites. He didn't like the Assyrian Ninevites there in Nineveh. He did not like those people. Though viewed to be a great city, it was full of people that Jonah did not prefer. He didn't like them. It was full of horrible people in Jonah's point of view. He considered these people full of hate. I mean, the Assyrian people of Nineveh, they had done some terrible things. Do not get me wrong. They had done some terrible things. Most likely, here's what God is saying. Their wickedness has come before me to Jonah. He would correlate that to Sodom and Gomorrah. And so he's thinking of Sodom and Gomorrah when he's looking at the Ninevites. And here's God saying, hey, I want you to go talk to those people. Their wickedness has come before me. And Jonah's like, why? Don't call it. That's not my people. I don't like those people. I don't want to have anything to do with those people. I know what those people are capable of. I mean, Jonah's viewing these people to be just, I mean, wretched, but worse, far worse. First off, they're enemies of Israel. Let's just stop there. They're not, they're not my friend. They're my enemy. Why would I go to them? I'm not going to them. Why would God care about people who were enemies to God's chosen people? I'm sure that that's a very logical question that may have been in Jonah's mind and heart. They're our enemy. 
Also, Jonah knew that the Assyrian people of Nineveh, they, they were horrifically cruel people who had often abused Israel. I mean, even stone carvings of archaeologists would prove, they would, it would basically reveal the Assyrians' reputation for cruelty. They would do terrible things. Listen to me. They would torture children. They would blind warriors who had been caught. They would chop off enemies' um, hands. They would impale their victims on stakes. They would behead their enemies. They are horrible people. God, why are you telling me to go to Nineveh when they're our enemy and they're horrible and these are the things that they have done to us? These are the things that they do? Why do you why would I do that? And God tells Jonah, go to that city. Call them to repentance. To what? God, you want me to give them a chance? What? They're undeserving. And rather than do what God calls him to do, look at verse three. We're only gonna do three verses. Look at verse three. So God tells him to go where? He gets up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Please do not miss that sentence. He gets up, so he, he, got, he gets up, but he gets up to flee the presence of the Lord to a different city altogether. It says he goes down to Joppa, which is super close by. He finds a ship that's going to go to Tarshish, which is super far away. He pays the fare. He boards the ship. He goes down into the ship, he, he, and, he, and he's going with them. It says he's going to go with them to Tarshish, to, to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. He don't know these people? Sailors? I'm going to go with them. I'm going to pay the, I'm going to, whatever I got to pay, I'm going to get on that boat, and I'm going to go as far away from where God told me to go as possible. Now, we got to pause here for a minute. we got to think about this. God spoke directly to Jonah. This supposition, there's a great relationship here. Um, He's trusting Jonah here. Arise, get up, go to Nineveh, preach, prophesy, proclaim repentance. Call them to me. Call them back to me. Of all the people that God could have called, of all the people that God could have used for this significant task in such this significant way, God was asking Jonah to partner with him for such an important purpose. God was telling Jonah in so many words that he would anoint him with power for such a divine purpose, for such a time as that, to go speak to what is perceived to be his enemies and call them to repentance. That's unpacking God's call. If God calls you to it, he's purposed you for it, he'll provide for it, he'll anoint you for it, And this is what God says, but what did Jonah do? God said, go. Jonah said, no. Listen, Jonah said no to God. Think about that. Jonah said no to God. Rather than accept God's assignment, rather than step into God's anointing, rather than to be a part of God's redemptive story, rather than being at the forefront of a movement of God, of a revival of God, rather than seeing people saved, rather than seeing people get set free, rather than seeing people repent and accept God's love, rather than declaring God's forgiveness and his redemption over them, rather than walking in obedience, rather than going the direction that God called him to go, Jonah chose to go the complete and total opposite direction. No, I'm not doing it, God. Make no mistake, he did get up. He did go. He got two of the three. <coughs> I was thinking about that. Because oftentimes, we're okay with two of the three, aren't we? But God, I was fairly obedient. But rather than going where God told him to go, watch this. Rather than going the, yeah, it's a journey, 500 miles to get to Nineveh from where you are. He goes the other direction, 2,000 miles to Tarshish. 500, yeah, it's a journey. 2,000. I'll pay what, how much does it cost? I just need to get on the boat. Two thousand miles, and check this out. We may need to hear this, especially in this coming year that's coming, because everybody, everybody knows what's coming, right? In this year, 
Do I need to spell it for you? Election, remember that? Yeah, there's a collective, ugh, I hope. But that, that we need to hear this. Considering the cruelty of these horrible Assyrians from Nineveh in Jonah's perspective, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. Jonah allowed his patriotism to take precedence over his theology. Did you hear what I said? We got to be real careful. One, out of his judgment and out of his dislike for these people, which at this moment must have been greater than his love for God, He'd rather disobey God and allow them to be destroyed than to do what God called him to do. Go to Nineveh, 500 miles that way. I'm gonna provide for you. I'm gonna anoint you. I've got great purpose, not just for you. God, those people aren't like me. They don't think like me. They don't believe like me. They don't even love you like me. They're horrible people. You know what, God, I'm not, I'm just going to skip the convo with you. I'll get up and I'll go, but I'm not going there. They're my political foe. They're my enemy in every capacity. Have you, God, if we were having a conversation, have you seen what they do to children? Have you seen what they do, what they're doing to children? I'm not going. They're, too, they're beyond lost. So you know what, God? I'm going to get lost. I ain't going 500. I'm going to go 2,000. I'll pay whatever I've got to pay to get away from that. I'll do whatever I have to do to be disobedient to that. I will flee from your presence if I have to, which is so futile. We'll look at this later next week. Jonah knew better. God calls him, but Jonah gets up to flee to Tarshish. And look what happens from the presence of the Lord. He gets up, not to obey, but to flee. He goes to Joppa, finds a ship going as far away as possible, pays whatever he's got to pay, gets on the ship, and goes with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Jonah's actions say, I'd rather go with you guys, who I don't know, you sailors either from Tarshish or headed to Tarshish, who cares, away from the presence of the Lord, than be obedient to what God desires me to do. By disobeying God and fleeing from the Lord's presence, Jonah is announcing his emphatic unwillingness to God's word, God's people, and God's will. I want to look at all three of these areas and see what disobedience to God will do. First, Jonah had the wrong attitude toward God's word. Listen to me. God, through divine communication, gives Jonah a direct command. And Jonah's opinions and Jonah's Feelings, listen, would direct Jonah more than God's desire and God's command. The word of the Lord comes to Jonah. Dove, peace. Son of faithfulness and truth. God says, get up and go. Go to Nineveh. It's a great city. Regardless of what you think, you have no clue what I'm gonna do. You, do you understand what I'm capable of doing. Cry out against them. Their wickedness has come before me. See, this was not only God inviting Jonah into great purpose. This was God's way of receiving glory. Listen to me. We don't have to understand. We just have to obey. It wasn't just about purpose. It was about God receiving glory, not just from Jonah, but also from these Ninevites. Think about God's given name. I said I was gonna say it over and over. Peace, peace peace. God wanted to send peace to the Ninevites. God wanted to send peace to those perceived to be enemies. He wanted them to have peace. Do you see it? It's not as if God did not know the atrocities. Oh, he does. He even said it. Their wickedness has come up before me. It's just that their atrocities were no lesser or no greater than those of Jonah's. Or ours for that matter. And God still loved them. And God still loved Jonah. And God still loves us. Aren't we glad that God not only made a way for us while we were broken and in sin to be set free, to be forgiven, to be rescued, and to be redeemed. But Jonah had the wrong attitude toward God's word. 
I mean, I just said it a bit earlier. Jonah got up not to obey God, but to flee from God. Listen to me. You want to know what disobedience will do? Here's number one. Disobedience to God will cause a distance from God. And if you're in that place, listen, if you're in that place and you feel distant from God, maybe you feel like God can't hear your prayers. You're praying, but God's not answering. Maybe you wonder if God's even listening, if he hears you at all. You feel distant from God. Ask yourself the question if you perceive that there is distance between you and God. Have I been, have I been completely obedient to God's commands? Have I, have I had the right attitude toward the word of God? Jonah would have thought, oh, the Ninevites, the word of God, what they're going to do, they're just going to try to make the word appeal to what they want. They're going to try to make the word, they're going to to reshape the word to their life. No, no, no. The right attitude is, no, 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 the word is what shapes my life. My life bends to what the word says. And Jonah had the wrong attitude to the word of God. Number two, Jonah had the wrong attitude toward God's people. Uh, Okay, listen, scripture doesn't, out loud outline the why behind the what here. Why did Jonah flee from the presence of God? You gotta, we, we have to dig in and see why. What's the deal with Nineveh? What's the deal with these people? We gotta know the context of the culture in that day, which is why I spent some time talking about who are these Assyrian Ninevites that Jonah despises so much. We gotta understand the political nature of what's happening, the environment of the relationship between Israel and the Ninevites, the Assyrians. We gotta, we gotta know all these things to understand why did Jonah have the wrong attitude toward God's people? I mean, Jonah would have never contemplated these people in Nineveh to be God's people. You know what? We're no different. There's people right now in this world that we would look at or that we would think of or that we would hear about. And the last thing that we would do is put them under the column of God's people. We don't stop to consider, oh, no, God loves those people just like he loves me. There's plenty of them out there. How many times have we rebelled and been disobedient to God because of our disdain for people? How many times have we made the mistake of assuming we should sit in judgment over people rather than just serve them like Jesus did? How, I mean, have we stopped to consider that the people that we may not like or even people that we may hate are people that God loves? No matter who they are, no matter where they're from, no matter what the color of their skin might be, no matter how much money they make or they don't make, no matter what side of the political aisle they may sit on. They're people that God loves. Maybe it's not even that obvious. Listen, maybe it's even more underneath. I feel like the word is really just insidious. Maybe it's how we spend our time, right? How do we treat the clock and the calendar? Do do we treat the clock and the calendar like, like there's some command from God involved? Or is it just at our beck and call? Is it for our convenience? Do we believe that, do we believe time is just really at our command? I mean, maybe it's how we spend the resources that God's entrusted to us. Are we investing money in things that really matter, right? Are we giving to politics and politicians more than the purposes of God? Are we investing more in our, our rainy day and our vacation funds than things that will really impact eternity? Think about where we're spending the dollars that God trusts us to steward. When we spend those, things like, this is for free, listen. Um, social justice is such a big thing, especially amongst the young people. And that's great. People are hungry. Give them a hamburger. But if all you did was feed them a hamburger and didn't give them Jesus, there's no justice in that at all. They just got their stomach full for a few hours. Did that money spent impact eternity? Will that money spent show up in eternity? See, maybe it's a little further underneath. It's things that we don't really think about or talk about. But are we, do we have the right attitude about God's people? Maybe it's how we're leading our family. Are we teaching them that Jesus deserves our first and our best and our all? Or are we teaching them by our actions that Jesus is just an option? Let me just, can I say this? Can I lovingly encourage you as your pastor this morning? If Jesus, if God, and if church are just an option for you now, do not be shocked when it's not even an option at all for your kids after they grow up. If everything else is more important and takes priority and precedent, but pastor, we're there twice a a month. I know, I know the statistics. Look, it's not just that I want you, I do want you here. But I'm more concerned with the spiritual heart of your students and your children and you 
to not share with you. Listen, if everything else is becoming more important than giving God your first and your best of your week, whether it's at church or the, the money that God gives you, whether it's through tithing or offerings or, or the time of your calendar and, and really stewarding the time that God has given you, then, then maybe you have the wrong attitude about God's word and God's people. It's just a question. Are we being obedient to the word of God, to the command of God, to the love of God, to the heart of God, as it pertains to the people that God loves? Um, w- w- with how we live our lives every day, are we, do we have the right attitude about God's people? Whether it's our enemies, our acquaintances, our friends, or our family. Are we being obedient to God's word, God's command, and God's calling? Let me tell you what disobedience will do. First one I said was this. Disobedience to God will cause a distance from God. But number two also, disobedience to God will cause a disengagement from the things and the people that God loves. You will disengage. And then you'll qualify it in some way, form, or fashion. Lastly, number three, Jonah has the wrong attitude toward God's will. Listen to this. Obviously, listen Jonah forgot that the will of God is the expression of the love of God. Think about that for a second. The will of God is just the manifest expression of the love of God. God loved Jonah. God loved Israel. But God also loved the Ninevites, the Assyrians. By fleeing from God's presence, Jonah's disobedience is declaring his unwillingness to serve God. His action here is nothing less than open rebellion against God's sovereignty. Look at verse 3 again. He got up and he went. So two out of three. But he did not go where God told him to go. Instead, he went to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went to Joppa. He found a ship. He paid the fare. And he got on to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Jonah made a willful decision in disobedience to go with them rather than God. We better be careful, listen, or we'll find ourselves with them rather than with him. Why would we ever want to willfully choose to negate all of the amazing things that God has created us for and called us to. The will of God is the expression of the love of God. When we choose to walk in obedience to God's will, we become the manifest expression of God's love. Let me say that one more time. When we choose to walk in obedience to God's will, we become the manifest expression of God's love. Let me tell you what disobedience will do. We've said two. Number one, disobedience to God will cause a distance from God. Number two, disobedience to God will cause disengagement from the things and the people that God loves. And lastly, as the band comes, disobedience to God will cause delay in living into all that God created you for. It's not that God won't have his way, he will. It's just how long will it take and what will it cost? Would you close your eyes and maybe stand to your feet with me this morning? It's part one of what disobedience will do. Navigating your Nineveh. Listen. God is always inviting you to the next step. Every step he invites you to is part of the path of the purpose that he created you for, Ephesians 2. You are his workmanship, meaning you are his masterpiece. If he is the most profoundly prolific, amazing artist, which we know him to be, your life is the canvas in which he paints his self-portrait. That's you. And Ephesians 2 tells us that he created you for good things. He created you for destiny, for divine purpose. And those things were in his heart and his mind for you before he even spoke you into existence, before you were born. And at some point in time, along the path of purpose, there's going to be a Nineveh call. Maybe it's already happened. Maybe it didn't deal with a certain people group that you didn't like. Maybe it was a certain position, a job, a vocation. 
Maybe it was um, an action of disobedience. Um, Students, you know, God said, hey, the person that you're investing all of your time and energy and affection into is taking you away from me. Maybe God told you even not as long as three weeks ago that this is not, this is not my plan for you right now. I don't know what, it, what Nineveh might look like for you right now. And can I say this too? Maybe you're sitting here going, you know, that's okay. Um, I, I, I am gonna obey God. I, I do wanna follow God. I know what God said. Um, he said it to me two years ago and, and I will get to it. I just need to do this first. I need to put my affairs in order. I need to make the money that I need to make. I need to make sure that kids' scholarships are gonna be secure. So I gotta get them to do those things and I gotta, I gotta save the money to, so they can go to college. And, and you know, one day I'm gonna get, I promise God, I'm gonna get to it. Can I tell you something? Delayed obedience is disobedience. When God says arise and go, It's a right now word. The question is, do we trust you, God, for your provision? Do we trust you in your purpose? Do we trust you even if it involves people that we don't understand, that we don't want to be around, that we run from, that we tend to go to the opposite side of the street when we see them, that we tell our kids to stay away from? What are we going to do when God says, go to that, speak to that, love that? My sister was a teenager. She was always terrified that God would say, go to Africa as a missionary. (laughs) But what if God did? What if God said, let me interrupt your regularly scheduled program of the nice life, the kingdom that you're building, because I want you to give it all away, rich young ruler, for my kingdom. What happens? delayed obedience is disobedience this morning what is God saying to you here's my hope more than anything my hope and prayer is that you would be encouraged not to just stare at this idea of disobedience but to look at the other side of obedience and understand what it is that God has promised you his love for you his provision his power, his anointing, abundant life. So Jesus, would you just speak to us this morning? Maybe bring us back to that first time, that first place, that first love where you spoke and we know in our heart this is what you said. And, and for some reason, time and distance and God, we have the, we have the, we have the right intention. What are you calling us to right now? What is it you're saying? What was the arise and go now word? And Lord, would you give us the strength? Would you give us the courage? Would you give us the faith? Would you let faith rise up in the room and in our hearts to say yes to you? Even if it's a journey, even if it's 500 miles, God, we've gone 2,000. But you're so loving and so gracious. Even when we run from you, You're right here. So I pray that we would turn around right where we are. Hey, with your eyes closed, maybe you're here this morning and you've never truly surrendered to Jesus. You've tried to do the right things. You've tried to be moral. You've you've gone to church even. But let me just tell you, like I tell students, man, I could go stand at McDonald's, but it does not make me a chicken McNugget. You can go to church Going to church doesn't save you. You may learn about Jesus, which is awesome. But I'm saying, have you ever surrendered to your life to Jesus? And now you, you say, oh, I know him personally, intimately. He's my friend. And if you've never done that, but you want to right now, whether you're here or in the online family, would you just pray right now? Jesus, I surrender to you. I've been on my own journey and it's taken me a long way. But I'm turning around and I just want to walk with you. I don't want to run from you. I want to walk with you. Would you save me right where I'm standing? Would you change me? Change my heart, change my mind. Thank you because of your cross. Thank you 
because of the blood that you spilled to pay the price that I could not pay. You took on the punishment I deserved so I could have your mercy and grace in this very moment. And I surrender it all to you. I'm all in. I'm all in. Empty me of all my past and fill me with your spirit, I pray, Jesus. Hey, if you prayed that prayer this morning online, would you just send us a note, a direct message? We want to reach out to you. We encourage you. Text the word Jesus to 43,000. If you're in the room and you prayed that prayer, would you raise a hand up just so I see who I'm praying for this week and celebrating with anybody? Keep it up until I see you. Anybody? Oh, okay, I see you. Thank you. I want to encourage you as well with your hand up. I want you to either text connect to 43,000 or Jesus to 43,000 so that we can reach out to you in the coming week just encourage you. Maybe you're here this morning and the band's about to lead us in the next five minutes before we go and just want to take some time to respond to what God may be saying. I'm going to say this altar up here, these steps, we just call it the altar. Altars are where sacrifices are made. I'm going to say that it's open. If you want to come spend some time with the Lord in prayer, we've got a prayer team to your right along the curtain. They would love to encourage you and minister and pray for you and We've got some response tables at the front and the back of the room. And at those tables, we have um, the supplies necessary for you to come to the table of the Lord. Um, Have communion, Eucharist, with your family or some of your church family. We just want to give you an opportunity just to respond to maybe what God is saying. Maybe he's bringing up that word in your heart again, in your mind. Maybe for some of you, it's time to engage a church family again. Let me just speak to this. Maybe you were hurt somewhere by somebody. I understand that. I've been in that place. I just want you to know, this house, this family is not a perfect family. We're not going to always get it right. But we're going to do everything we can to love each other as well as we can. So be encouraged. Sometimes people get it wrong, but Jesus doesn't get it wrong. So as we sing, I'm going to open it up. Prayer time, altar, response tables. You move as the Lord leads you. Let's respond to him. Thank you so much for checking us out online today. If you need to make a decision about the next step of your faith journey with Jesus, text CONNECT to 43000. And if you took the first step in your faith journey by saying yes to Jesus, we want to know about it and walk with you. So text Jesus to 43000. There you will find some resources and a message from Pastor John. There are so many ways to connect at Declaration. Check out declaration.org to find out more about who we are. Before we go, let's say our declaration together. Because of what the gospel has done in and to us, Our lives exist to help people encounter and follow Jesus. We will devote ourselves to His Word, His presence, and His people. We desire authenticity, intimacy, a heart of service, and to see His kingdom come. We are for Jesus and for people.